here's someone you should meet. Welcome in, friends. There is someone you should meet. My guest today has gone through a bit of a career transition in recent years. First, she was a corporate attorney, but now she switched over to being a New York Times bestselling author. Her two novels, Whisper Network and The Husbands, are a Reese Witherspoon book club and Good Morning America book club pick, respectively. Now she is currently adapting The Husbands into a screenplay that will feature Kristen Wiig while also working on her next novel as well. For comparison, I have a dirty pot that's going on about two or three days that that still hasn't been (laughs) watched. (laughs) So hailing from Austin, Texas, ladies and gentlemen, I introduce you to Mrs. Chandler Baker. Chandler, welcome aboard. It is so awesome to have you. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. And I am right there with you on the housekeeping. It it never ends. It it, it it doesn't. It really doesn't. So uh, a a little birdie told, uh, told me that you are a really huge fan of breakfast tacos and so oh, uh, i've been wa- i've been wanting to see as someone who uh, who uh, lives in austin who's definitely has its fair share of food staples what are some of your go-tos um for for a breakfast taco on a saturday morning where are you going to Oh gosh. Well, the nice place is that almost anywhere in Austin is pretty good for breakfast tacos, but I'm always still a big fan of Taco Deli, which I think you guys have in Dallas probably. Oh yes. Yes. At this point. Um, I mean, when I can get down there, which is not that often, I still like one in a million or Matt's El Rancho for breakfast. Um, gosh, so many good, so many good places, but usually my just like to go pickup would be, would be Taco Deli. Yeah, Taco Deli is perfect because they're usually they're usually at a lot of coffee shops. As yes, well. exactly. So, so like my go-to just... place is Coffee Shark, and they always have Taco Deli tacos. So. Yes, yes, it is the per is the perfect side to whatever uh, you know morning mm-hmm. latte or cup of joe that you're gonna have. So yes, I'm all, exactly. I'm all about the Taco Deli train <laughs> as well. So, oh, well, I mentioned in the intro, so you're uh, you're a former uh, attorney. Mm-hmm. Uh, now author your uh, your previous novel whisper network it was kind of set in the in the cor- corporate world and then in your latest novel the husbands the main character is, is an attorney uh, yes. so i'm just i'm just curious uh, as, and also these two books are are set in dallas and austin respectively mm-hmm. so with that do you happen to have a friend or fam- family member who has read read these that you may have worked with or been inside and maybe they're wondering hey is this Am I, is this person may, maybe me or influenced by, by, by me at all? Oh, I'm sorry, there's such a, ho- there's such a ho- homey feel just from your back background to it. So I just can't help but be curious if you get those type of questions from, from friends and family. Absolutely. All the time. <laughs> um, and, you know, and to some extent, sometimes they are, uh, <laughs> Uh, with Whisper Network, you know, it was about a bunch of female attorneys and uh, my girlfriends knew very much as I was writing the book that I was asking them for stories and asking them about their bosses and often basing characters off of uh, just people that we knew in the legal fields um, that we thought would provide an interesting kernel of an idea Um Artie and Whisper Network is very much based on one of my good girlfriend's bosses. Uh, she's she's an attorney. I won't say what kind because I feel like that makes it kind of obvious. But um, <laughs> but she's a good character ultimately. So I don't think it's a I don't think it's a bad thing. Everyone thinks that Hayden, the main husband in my book, The Husbands, is my husband because, uh, as you said, the main character of The Husbands is a lawyer. Um, and she is pregnant with her second child, which I was dealing with when I was leaving, uh, my law practice. So yes, everyone very much assumes that the husband is like a, a direct (laughs) avatar, uh, for my husband and that Nora, the main character is a direct avatar for me. But yeah, in terms of like any of the bad behavior in Whisper Network, I think certain people probably do know, you know, it's a book sort of about, problematic work environments and um, predatory behavior by men. And there are some incidences that happen to me or people I know, but, and so I think that there are people, I've had people from my law firm DM me on Instagram and try to guess who it's about at our (laughs) firm. Uh, And 
I don't know if it's ever reached the people that it might be about, but certainly no one raises their hand and says, hey, that was me that behaved really poorly. So <laughs> you're always kind of protected that way. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I, you mentioned, uh, I think I've seen in previous interviews that for, uh, I think it might've been for bo both novels, but you mentioned conversations that you have with with friends or fellow, fellow coworkers and kind of the, the inspiration that that brings behind characters or the more insight that it helps you with. Yeah. I'm curious how, how are those conversations? Are there, did you come in them with a mission of like, I want to learn, I want to learn about this or were things that were shared with you and kind of organically create, you know, plot lines or maybe or character arcs that you, that you've written to your novels? Mm -hmm. It's very much a mixture of both. So, you know, with my adult novels, so before I was, uh, before I wrote Whisper Network, I wrote a book for teens um, that were, had very, very middling success. And certainly Whisper Network was, uh, was a big breakout novel for me, different from my others. And I, and I think it's because uh, it was very authentic to me and I was mining my own personal experience. And I felt like I very much found my voice in writing these adult novels for women. So as you said, like the genesis for both ideas, Whisper Network and The Husbands, came from thinking about what are my girlfriends and I talking about when we go to lunch, when we're at book club, when we go on walks or do a workout together, like what are the things that keep coming back that we could talk about for hours? And so at the time I wrote Whisper Network, it was certainly as the Me Too movement was unfolding and we were all talking about experiences um, that we'd had in the workplace, how we felt about them, how we'd reacted, how we'd wish we'd reacted, what we would do in the future. And that sort of created the idea for Whisper Network. Uh, likewise with the husbands, we were talking a lot about division of domestic labor now that we all had kids and how that was going. So my ideas spring from those conversations. And then uh, as I'm writing, I go back to my girlfriends knowing like, okay, this is the story area that I'm around. And then I will, you know, I will have like sort of a set of questions that I'm bringing up in conversation. I mean, I tell them that's what I'm doing, but uh, for the husbands, I would ask all my girlfriends, you know, what's one thing you wish your partner did without being asked that he doesn't currently do. And that could create really long conversations like in our book club and people providing answers for me. So, so it's definitely both. It's where the, it's where they come from organically. And then also going back and getting more anecdotes and, um, hearing from sort of a chorus of my of my friends, things that I know will feel relatable because because they're real. Oh, that's that's an incredible process. Speaking speaking of processes, I want to do I want to rewind a, a little bit back to where, uh, when you're in law school because I think I saw that you were still you're still writing um, and trying to create works as, as an author during that time, and I yeah. was just amazed this amazed to re read and hear and hear about that because law school. Yeah, and this is just me. This is just I'm. Gu I'm guessing that it's probably not the easiest thing in the world, <laughs> and there's yeah. probably quite a bit of work work there. Um, I'm just I'm fascinated about that time a time of your life when you're trying. You know, you have you're in this state of life, but you're also you have this dream that you're per pursuing. What was kind of your routine during during that time to kind of to balance the workload of completing a law school when you're at University of Texas, and but also trying to set time aside to, to write chapters or write, you know, write outlines, you know, however that looks like uh, when creating a story. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, it was not easy or recommended. I'm sure I could have spent a little bit more time studying in law school and um, <laughs> uh, my grades at times would have appreciated it. <laughs> we can all uh, say that. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I did, I just had this real fire in my belly at the time that I didn't want to give up writing, even as, you know, there were times when my parents or boyfriend at the time were like, maybe you should focus on completely on law school and dedicate yourself to that. But I just didn't want to. And, you know, I always had just just enough success as I was going to sort of justify staying in the game, because that was always a really hard thing is like, how do I justify taking this time out of my my mainstream, my law, my lawyer career pursuits to take time to do something that's making me no money that I'm not paying to do that nobody has shown that they want uh, but my first year of law school, I got an agent. So that was like just enough of a carrot to be like, okay, I got an agent. So maybe I can do this. Maybe I'll keep going for another year. And, you know, then that book didn't sell. 
but I ended up getting hired, hired to ghostwrite several novels and an existing series. So that was enough of a carrot. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll keep going a little bit. In terms of my process, it was, I've always written in really small increments of times. I do writing sprints. So it's always like, do I have 15 minutes where I can turn off my email, um, turn off everything and write? Uh, And that's how I do it. Um, Sometimes the increments change, but it's always between like 15 minutes and an hour. uh, And maybe one day I'll get in four 15 minute sprints. But, you know, that's, that's great. Sometimes I'll only get in two 15-minute sprints. But if you do that every single day, it really does add up. Um, and the other thing was just having, like, meeting friends in the community. I, I met a lot of writing friends online that are still my friends today. And I think without them and feeling like I had people at the same stage as me and that were learning about writing and learning about how to get published at the same time and that we... We would act as accountability partners to each other. We'd tell ourselves our goals for the day and check back in at the end of the day or at the end of the week. Um, I just, I don't think I would have, I would have gotten it done. Like I needed that group of people to be as sort of passionate at the time as I was. Um, And it was still, you know, it was a number of years. I wasn't, it was, I was a second year associate by the time I sold my first own book. So I had a long, I had a long road before anything really happened, but it was really just about that like daily diligence over binge writing. And I've gotten better and better about that as the years go, but that's how it started. Do you, uh, I'm curious, do you have a, do you have a work, something you've written that's un- unpublished or maybe when you fir- first started out, is there anything that kind of is, is special to your heart when, you know, when you think about kind of when you first kind of began that journey? Oh, I have so many things that, that are unpublished um, and nothing is special to my heart. <laughs> and that's really the truth of it. Um, my book that I got an agent for, well, I, I had gotten, I had written a book, terrible, wrote a book, got a little bit of interest, no offers, nothing happened at that, wrote another book that got me an agent that didn't sell, sell and then wrote another and that didn't sell. And then my next one sold. So um so yes, and and I think all of those rightfully did not find their audience. I think I just wasn't ready yet. Um, I was so eager to like get to the next level. I was kind of always looking for shortcuts. Um, I can say this now that I'm like 13, 12 years with my agent. Uh, but you know, when you when you go looking for an agent, you're supposed to have had the book done, right? You're supposed to write the pitch letter for a book that's finished and you say that it's finished. And I wrote a great query letter and got, you know, his, his interest. And then like, I didn't have the book done or even close to done. So I wrote it in, you know, a matter of like a, a week, maybe the rest of it to try to, to keep his interest. And, wow. uh, and, but I paid for it on the back end. So I did get to the next step. I think I needed that in my life but it's not like I really got to where I was going any, any more quickly. Right. You you mentioned, you mentioned earlier that you had some people maybe kind of, you know, kindly say maybe you should focus on law school or put, uh, even put all of your focus on that. And you mentioned kind of these, these milestones that you were reaching there during that time when things were for like a bird term tough or hard or hit, you know, you kind of hit bumps in a road in your writing. Was it kind of those milestones that kind of, kept you it kept you inspired I guess when there was kind of you know what what were kind of the main things that helped you persevere you know because through any kind of hard season that we may may face uh yeah really it's been at every stage up and up through whisper network because there was definitely a time even once I'd sold books my YA books that you know my family would be like why don't you just focus on making partner um why don't you like that's where you're making money because I was barely making any money, certainly not enough to live on. Even once I'd already sold books, it wasn't really until Whisper Network that that changed and that I could make my living on writing. And to be fair, like I understand where people are coming from on that. You know, the odds are not great uh, that you can be a working writer. So I, I get why people were saying those things to me and they were out of love. I don't know. I mean, it, what kept me going is like, I didn't want to stop without accomplishing what I set out to accomplish, which was getting a book published. I thought that that would just eat me alive. 
uh, it's not my favorite thing about my personality, but I feel like I'm a big chaser of sort of brass rings. Um, I like, I need a gold star and that's like, right. And I've chased that in a lot of different ways in my life, uh, that didn't pan out. But finally, I think writing was just something that I actually had a talent and a real affinity for. And I loved books and it met with my desire to get my gold star. And so that's, what's made like the longevity of it. Uh, but I just, I just wanted to have it. I wanted to be published. I would sit in Barnes and Noble and like pick out where my book would find be on the shelves if it was ever published. And yeah, so I just, I don't know. I never really considered quitting that strongly. I don't think there was a time once I started that I ever stopped. It was really the, the milestones, like the agent and the ghostwriting and stuff. That was really just something I could hold up to other people to say, like, somebody thinks I might be able to do this. I'm not that right. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so that was more like a, like a warding off thing that I was able to use. <laughs> so, I love that. I love that. When you look, when you look back on, on that time and the, and the early days of your career, when you were first starting out, how's your personal creative process to your writing evolved or changed in, in that time? Has kind of the way you approach, approach, characters or, or your story has it remained the same or have you kind of had to make make tweaks to how you do things over time I've I've gotten witchier like I've gotten a little bit more like woo woo about it when I started again I think because I was kind of embarrassed about pursuing like a creative endeavor um I would just tell people how like type a I was about it I would always be like it's not like my characters are speaking to me or anything like I am in control I get this much done per day um I felt very much like uh, like a workman about it. And I thought yeah, I could really strong arm it into existence. Uh, and as time has gone on, I've been a little bit more like inspiration is important to me. And um, like, I don't know where things come from. They come out of thin air and uh, have like little rituals, I feel like. Um, right. So all of those things have, have, have changed how I've written a little bit, um, though I still am very type A about the whole process. And I'm always trying to tweak my process. I'm trying writing in 350 word bursts, or I try to outline, um, or I try to do spreadsheets. I'm always like, looking for this way to make the process more efficient because my process is not efficient. Um, looking for ways to procrastinate less, like everybody is. But I've also kind of, I think, been more accepting that like, the process isn't meant to be made more efficient or you can't reach optimal efficiency in something that's creative. Like there is a bit of magic to it. Uh, so if you, you know, click through Wikipedia for an hour, that's just built in. <laughs> that's built in time. <laughs> that's all part of it. <laughs> right. Did you ever have a, you know, for, for your sprints, as you've called them or these goals, mm -hmm. did you ever give yourself a, a reward or anything? Like if I get to this point, I'm going to have Chick-fil-A tonight or something, or something like that. Has, has that ever been a part, a part of it or is it just kind of get it, get it done and move on? Uh, yes, I have definitely done like the food rewards. I really try not to now that writing is my full-time job because that seems like a really <laughs> dangerous path. I try to keep my snacking and stuff reasonably healthy. Um, now I feel like my goal is always like, if I can get done what I set out to get done today, then I get to be done with work for the day and I don't have another boss. So I'm like, oh, yeah. don't make myself work longer. If I finish what I finish that I'm supposed to do, um, then I can use that time and I can go on a walk or, you know, read or watch a TV show, whatever I want to do. So that's kind of been the best motivator for me, but um, I almost never earn my reward. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. As long you have earned it, though, so that's. I have <laughs> earned it, and it's enough to convince me that it will keep on coming. So I don't know. Uh, that's a that's amazing. That's amazing. So there there was uh, there's something I heard. Um, I'm sorry, I can't remember if it was from a podcast or, or for something you've written, but I had but I had to ask this when I when I saw it. Do you have any fun? Do you have any fun or just simple simply? memorable moments from writing on your phone while holding a crying baby in the middle of the night. 
I, I saw that and I was amazed because I've, I've been in that situation. We have a little one at home. We I've been in that situation and I, I couldn't imagine doing, doing that. Oh, <laughs> so, do you take uh, notes on your phone for stuff like this while you're up with your baby? <laughs> so luckily, luckily we've, uh, we've, ex- uh, we've exceeded that time yes. um, since, since we started this. So, so luckily not yet. I have listened to it, you know, don't, you know, maybe listen to a pod podcast or interview mm-hmm. and written research at, um, out of that, but, uh, you know, but to write, um, to write something or take, take notes, I feel like that's a whole, whole nother ball game, especially when you have something cry, crying about six inches <laughs> from you. So I had to ask about, yeah. about those moments for you. Uh, yeah. I don't know about fond. That seems like. <laughs> I know. I made her simply memorable. Yeah. Fond's more, <laughs> yeah. yeah, more. I don't think facetious. I've ever been thrilled <laughs> to wake up with a baby even though they're very cute. Um, I definitely woke up. I remember and wrote, I mean, my daughter was older at the time, probably about, about your daughter's age. Uh, but you know, we've gone through like sleep regressions or times where my kids are sick or whatever. So, um, I did write sort of like the beginning. There's a, I have these like Greek chorus parts, the we narration and whisper network, and they all kind of revolve around a theme. So I, I had this idea for one that revolved around lean in, the idea of lean in and like it being the only way to hear the whispers and all this thing. And it became this like very quoted thing throughout the campaign for Whisper Network and um, that I see on Instagram a lot. And that was something that I wrote on my phone, just sort of like the skeletal pieces when I was up one night with my daughter. And you kind of never know when you're in the middle of the night if what you're writing is going to make any sense or if you're going to know what it means the next day. For instance, on my most on the book that I'm writing right now, uh, my editor and I have been going back and forth and on ideas of how to restructure this. And she sent me; she has a very small baby right now too, and um, she sent me this email that she had sent to herself about my book. It said like Baker at the front, at the top, and she sent an email. She forwarded the email to me because she had written this note for us that she thought was going to like be brilliant, and it said. Be show no can do. <laughs> We're like, yeah, that solved it. I think yeah. we've got it all figured out now. <laughs> um, oh like that's gosh. that was the key. Thank you so much. Yeah. So you never know. You're either gonna get something brilliant that you're so glad that you wrote down and have this thing from the night, or you're gonna get be show no can do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that that's amazing. So uh, so with yeah with cry with crying babies and family uh, dynamics uh, um, leads me uh, to uh, your latest novel uh, the the husbands which delves in to that quite quite a bit um, in fear in fear of uh, bu- butchering it. Um, do you mind for our audience who may have not uh, seen it yet to give a quick quick uh, pitch on it on on the summary for it? Sure. Oh man, You're making me reach into the vault. It's been like there a few months. It has. So, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the husbands is a novel that really asks um, how far would a woman go for a little more help from her husband. Uh, it follows Nora Spangler, who's an overworked lawyer and mom, and she goes house hunting in this nice suburban neighborhood called Dynasty Ranch with her husband Hayden, and there she meets this group of really high-powered women with um, enviably supportive husbands. And uh, she's asked to take on one of the residents' uh, wrongful death case in the community. And, you know, as she, as she works on the case, she gets to know the women and finds that uh, unlike her, they're not so overwhelmed. The air in Dynasty Ranch really does seem different. Uh, they're not hanging on by a thread. And as, as the case unravels, she uncovers the plot that sort of might explain the secret to having it all. And it could be one that's worth killing for. I must confess, um, because the, the main character, Nora, uh, her marriage with, uh, with Hayden, is kind of at you know near near the heart of the story and dri- drives a lot of it, and uh, I must confess as I was reading it, the things they delve delve into, I might have looked at my wife like a time or two and have been like, "What what am I guilty of?" And, and like, ch- what and are ch- you guilty <laughs> of? Tell us, oh, tell us. 
Uh, the, the, we'd be we'd be here too or should too, we ask her long. oh man we'd be here too too long uh i will i will say there was a uh i bring it up there there was a portion one of one of my favorite parts is uh when nor and hayden so they start this this uh, this couple ca- couples counseling with someone from from that neighborhood mm-hmm. and there there is a part from it i'll go ahead and just re- read the the excerpt from it so uh see so yeah, and it's so it's nora the the therapist is trying to get out of Nora just what what is it that she is struggling with um with with Hayden so mm-hmm. who seems to be seems to have good good intentions from anything but just seems to be just kind of mi- missing the mark and just like isn't on just isn't on the same wavelength that mm-hmm. that Nora is and so there so there's a part that I really uh, really enjoy that really impacted me and so Nora, Nora says well, she's saying this in therapy she says, says Hayden's smart I know he's smart I think that's the thing that bugs me. He's just as capable as I am as doing any of these things uh, of holding them in his head. So why doesn't he? She And then this is the narrator. She mumbles the last part, embarrassed. She's asked for too much. She's missing something critical. She's not being fair. Hayden is better than so many men. She's grateful, grateful for that. She should be grateful, shouldn't she? And uh, I thought that was just, I thought that was such a, a great a great moment that whole that whole chapter that's probably my favorite stretch uh in the book and again congratulations on just the success that's had so but i thought it was uh, so impressive with with this marriage and and with and with hayden as well you create you created a character that both the main, the main character nora loves and kind of he she wants the best and um and you have you have love in the marriage but also you're kind of walking this fine line of, of Hayden kind of mi- missing, missing things. That's kind of driving Nora into what, you know, what happens in the story uh, happens in the story. I wish I could ask it in a better way, but just what, what is that like to like walk that fi- fine line? Cause I feel like if you teeter one way, then Hayden's just this complete, you know, he could be a complete jerk and, you mm-hmm. know, of course, of course, you know, or, or you teeter the other way and, then you might might make Nora look, look bad and uh, and and all this. So how was that like in kind of set and structuring the story and write and writing Hayden and Nora and Nora as well of trying to have have that balance of a character you want the best for, but mm-hmm. but also you're getting fr- you're getting frustrated with them and you see where Nora's got, uh, coming from um, and the things that she's having troubles with. Yeah, I'm so glad you feel that way about Hayden because that's definitely how I feel about him too. Uh, And it is really hard to walk that line. Uh, I wanted to write about good guys. I feel like I'm not very interested in men that aren't trying, that don't have good intentions. I, all of my friends are, you know, smart, outspoken women that are not going to be doormats in their marriages. And they're all married to nice guys who, who want to, um, be equal partners. And yet, uh, I think statistically we see that women still do a lot more unpaid labor than, than men do. And, you know, we've seen it borne out in the pandemic that women have left the workforce at four times the rate of men often citing uh, the fact that their home life uh, is untenable to take on the responsibility of work. So, so we know that these things exist. Um, and you know, as Nora says, she knows that Hayden is doing so much more than a lot of men. She knows that he's definitely doing a lot more than his father did and more than his grandfather did. And I think the frustrating thing for women is they look and they see, okay, we have entered the workforce very quickly. We're often making up, you know, 50% of our home's uh, income or at least a large portion of it. So we've, we're striving to catch up on the career front. Uh, we want to be equal providers financially. Why is it not moving as quickly at home, even as, you know, everybody's becoming, um, much more aware and conscientious about uh, gender roles and even the notion of gender itself. So there's this huge disconnect that I think we're all trying to talk ourselves through uh, that we know isn't right. And yet 
you also have to have grace in your own marriage and you have to look at your individual circumstances and you can't draw lines in the sand arbitrarily just because of how you want the world to work. Um, so, it, you know, it's an, it's an ongoing battle that I think a lot of women have in their heads about how do we, how do we handle it? Why aren't men seeing sort of the mental load um, why are they so much more hands-on with parenting? Intensive parenting is very much uh, in fashion and is we've made a lot of strides on that, but um, actual household labor and planning and scheduling and filling out school forms and hiring childcare and all of those things, uh, we just haven't made as fast of strides in. So it was, it was difficult and that I don't want Nora to just be a relentless nag. Um, I want it to be clear that they have a good marriage, that they love each other, that she feels like she married the right guy. Like, I think she, she knows that she married the right guy. It's just this one thing that she really wants to fix. And she wishes she could snap her fingers and make him see like the whole picture. Uh, and I feel like that's very very relatable, but I don't know. I haven't talked to a ton of men that have read it. So <laughs> I know that, that you might have, feel differently. <laughs> uh, maybe curious. Uh, I just, I, re I resonated a lot because I'm, all right. So I'll, you asked earlier, I didn't want to evade, evade the question, but, okay. I, but, but plan, but planning for me, that is, that's my struggle. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm seeing more how in the moment uh, I am, or I just kind of see what's directly in front of me and kind of mm -hmm. beyond that, especially now, now with the little one where you're having, you're having to kind of expand your view a little bit. So yes. I guess while we're at it, do you have any tips on, I don't know. I just thought I don't want to I need tips too. <laughs> um, so I guess, uh, yeah, I guess that kind of bring, brings that um, to the point that you're, you're bringing up is uh, it, it seem it seems like we're kind of in a, day and age where and I may be speaking from from a bubble because living in Dallas and in Texas can be a little of its own world in it in itself so uh but I do I, I see you know more more dads that are that are active and want you know want to be involved with everything that their their child their children are in and I do I do kind of notice that there did that there seem to be more of a celebration of that for what mm -hmm. men are able to accomplish and for women, it does seem to be more of a of an expectation, whether yep. that's in, whether that's intentional uh, or or not. Mm -hmm. So, and like uh, I can even, I still have a memory uh, when our daughter was about, you know, eight months or so, appro approaching a year, and I'm and I was still getting questions of whether or not I've changed a diaper or not, and you yeah. know, and the fact that I have done that, you know, I got I got this. I got praised for, <laughs> for mm -hmm. it, but then they're asking, but then they're asking Amber, uh, my wife, my spouse, by the way, Amber, uh, and it's kind of uh, the same, like similar questions are asked, but not, but not the same responses are, are made to it. And so I think that's kind of fa fascinating as I think um, in my, in my view, it seems like we're having, we're kind of in this transition of, you know, the latest generation is one, maybe want to be more, more involved and more, more in, but you still kind of have gener like generations past or still kind of uh, living in the past of, you know, oh, you're, you've done, you've done this and you're the dad. That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. So I wonder if that's just kind of the time that we're living in um, right now. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think women are just impatient with it and rightfully so, but yes, I think <laughs> yeah. we're, like, we're in this transition now. Can yep. we be done with this transition? Have everyone figure it out. Um, I think my, <laughs> A thing I hear a lot um, from friends, and I understand why, but a lot of times uh, I will hear from a husband, like uh, we had some neighbors over that said this not too long ago. We were kind of joking back and forth about these issues as couples do. And, you know, he was kind of exasperated and he said to his wife, he's like, I'm happy to help. Just tell me what to do. And my husband was like, oh, you're not supposed to say that in front of Chandler. She's going to get upset with you. <laughs> um, and of course that comment sounds so well intentioned, but you know, my tip is just to remember that no one's telling 
your wife what to do, not you, you, but just the universal you. No one's telling your wife what to do. No one taught your wife how to pack a diaper bag. No one taught her um, how, you know, when you need to get on a daycare wait list. Like nobody told her those things. She is thinking through what's to come and trying to, to figure it out. Uh, thinking backwards. So I would just encourage both spouses to be as forward thinking and as expansive thinking. And just remember that nobody wrote like a playbook about this. She's mm-hmm. not like the CEO of, of giving the roadmap for what needs to get done. And by the way, like I know all these issues exist in same-sex couples as well. Of course, like any partnership is going to have division of domestic labor issues. I think what, what I see though, is that um, in in heterosexual couples, it is because of the gender default that you talked about that people often fall into, into their given roles. And it is sort of this sense of being graded on a curve, like you mentioned with the diapers. It's the idea that, you know, like if, if I go out of town or something, my husband could like send my daughter to school with her hair, like all crazy. And, um, she's got like a lunch bowl if we're lucky in her lunch box or something. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, how sweet. Like he's taking care of everything so you can get away. But if I sent her to school with clothes that don't match and her hair is not combed and she doesn't have healthy food, like that's not going to be cute. I'll, I'll seem neglectful. So a lot more participation trophies. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, um, you know, it's just kind of being aware of those. And yes, I do think we're in a transitional period, but, uh, but that we're like the women of Dynasty Ranch, we're getting impatient with it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I understand that. Those are, no, those, those are great. Those are great, uh, great, great insights. And those continue to come up in this novel and in Whisper Network as well, just in these voice of strong female characters. And, uh, for for you with the success that they've had and kind of the conversations that they've created for your fu- for your future novels or for what you're you know for what you're working on from here here and beyond have your have your own ex- expectations cha- changed or changed or evolved um, because of because of the success that those have brought does it create a, a pressure or more you know is it have more thoughts that maybe weren't there before when working on your current current works for the future? Uh, yes. I mean, I would be lying if I said that I didn't have bigger expectations or hopes for myself or things that I think about um, writing, you know, wanting to accomplish from a career standpoint and, you know, how I want my books to do sales-wise and all of those things. Of course I do. And that part of my life does feel like it's in transition and I'm still trying to work out how to um, let those expectations exist in my head and let them drive me and also not change the work too much. Uh, and I think right now that's that's struck an okay balance. We'll see how it goes with my next novel, but uh, I'm just trying to think about like what what people connected to in my books and how to replicate and at the same time, just like be genuine and authentic to what I want to write about. And thankfully my books have been very reliant on my personal experience already. So I think I can continue to sort of follow the model of like, what am I thinking about? What am I talking about with my friends? Um, what is, what life stage am I in right now? And, um, and go on to write about that. So We'll see how it goes with this novel, um, but yes, there is more. There is more pressure, and I don't want to disappoint people. That's a big one for me. I just don't want to disappoint people that have invested me in some way, whether those be readers or my publisher or my agent or any of those people. Right. Well, the ba- the backstory of the husbands and has it, how it was created for me, it provides a lot a lot of inspiration. Probably for for any writer, it probably provides a lot of inspiration because when I heard it. It was. I think I've had nightmares about these types of situations, um, but from what I heard, you so you turned in a draft of the husbands, and mm-hmm. were basically essentially told to start start over <laughs> again. Yeah, and uh, that gave me like cold sweats when I <laughs> when I saw saw that. How, what is that like to kind of to work on something something 
so lengthy, lengthy a full full novel and then kind of have to go back to to step one like you had to do for for this story I think it's even worse than that because I actually wrote a book after Whisper Network that I thought was going to be my next book um, and I wrote that whole book and I turned it in and my editor and I decided like that was not the book that was not the idea at all so I had to go back to the drawing board and think of a brand new idea and a brand new book um, oh and, and that'll really give you cold sweats because I had just quit my job um, and so <laughs> this is my only income and so I knew it was going to set me back like a year basically of when I thought a book would come out um, and I'm so glad that I did because I got the husbands out of it, which, uh, is, I think what the book that was meant to follow whisper network for me, I, I don't know, you know, it, and yes, I, after I wrote the first draft and turned in the first draft of the husbands, I, again, the second draft, I started from a blank page and I rewrote it again. Um, that was much less painful actually. And, uh, I've just become a lot less precious. I think it's, it's been good. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it. I don't think anyone should strive to be rewriting a book so many times <laughs> from scratch. Um, try not to, but also just being that being willing to is such a gift and to know that, you know, ideas are renewable resources, words are renewable resources. Uh, writers always say that there's no writing wasted. And the last few years have made me really have to embrace that saying because you do learn from just having written a book and um, having had to regenerate. And I kill so many darlings, as we say, <laughs> as writers, like kill so many of my favorite parts of the book just in service to the larger story. Um, it really does always make you be thinking about the larger story because uh, I love like the sentence level. I love thinking about the social commentary aspect of my novels. That's what's really fun for me and what I latch on to. Um, and when you have to throw away full drafts, you lose a lot of that stuff. Right. And you have okay. to find new ways to say it and new ways to fit it in. And, and like I said, you really do have to be thinking about the plot more. So overall, it's been, been good. I don't get as many cold sweats. I just kind of put my head down and do it. Very good. Very, yeah. very good. <laughs> so you're current. Uh, so you're currently or have uh, adapted the husbands into uh, into a screenplay for a few for a future film. You're also working on um, another novel um, for uh, com coming up. Uh, in those type of situations, when when you have multiple projects that that you're on, do you take a break in between work on those to kind of get in your own headspace for, for those, or you jump, or is it kind of a seamless transition from one, one thing to, to another when you're kind of, when you have two, when you have two different stories and plots that you're dealing with, yeah, how do you kind of get it and getting that mi mindset to kind of be in those specific characters um, and stories? Yeah, uh, I, I'm still learning and kind of honing my process of how to work on multiple projects at once because I am, I do have a lot of projects right now. I, I don't have a great way to describe it, but I usually have like a project, my sort of lead project at the time, whether that's the husband's or my new novel, um, and I dedicate like sacred writing time to that. So I'll say... Um, today I have to get in three hours of like sacred writing time on my main project. And so usually those come in hour chunks where I say, you know, I'm going to write, I'm not going to look at email. I'm not going to look at anything. I'm, I can stare out the window. That's fine, but I'm not going to do anything else during that time. And I'm dedicating that block of time to that project. Um, and then if I get that time in, if I get my three hours in, then whatever I have left for the day can go towards my other projects that, that need my attention. Um, and usually what I find is that there will come a point, like a critical mass of time in a project where I have to just set all other projects aside. And I'm like, okay, this is requiring my full attention and I'm not going to work on anything else at the moment because um, I need my subconscious sort of working on this at every moment that I'm not at my desk and I always say that when you are working on a lot of projects at once, um, it's harder to get like shower thoughts about it. Like those things that just pop into your head when you're driving or you're taking a shower or you're going to bed at night. Um, so I always want my projects to get to a point where I am having the shower thoughts, those moment of inspirations that come when I'm not at the computer. Uh, 
and sort of that's just sort of an internal alarm that goes off in me that says like now it's time and I don't want to work on anything else um but during all other times I do kind of just use the like get this amount done and then the rest goes into touching getting my hands on all the other projects to the to the greatest extent I can which is not very scientific but it works for me <laughs> <laughs> that's all that matters that's all, yeah that's all that matters so um so for this next segment it's uh just it's basically uh, from, uh, I call it from novice to novelist. Okay. Um, it's just a basic, well, I took creative writing 101 in college, so I, we're basically on the same level, but this is for anyone we else. We are. <laughs> yeah, so this is for anyone else who is cur curious about it, but it's essentially just curious questions about be being an author um, that, we'd that we'd love to know. Um, so the first one is, what, uh, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that people have about being a writer? Oh gosh. Also for the record, I did not take creative writing 101. So you might even have a leg up on me. Okay. <laughs> well, you have, you have my email if you need advice. Um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Oh gosh. There's so many misconceptions. Um, I think the one that this is very just personal to me, but I feel like everybody thinks that I can drop everything during the week to like meet for lunch or run an errand or volunteer or whatever it is, or wait for the handyman, all those things, because they feel like I could just get my work done anytime. And I don't have a boss. And, uh, it's like a, it's like a hobby. I think people think I'm just like, writing like my myspace blog or something right. <laughs> over here of <laughs> the time so i would just say that it is work and you actually do have to dedicate like work hours yes to it or books don't get written it's not magic that's good uh yes that's good that's a good note to keep in mind Big, biggest difference for you between writing a screenplay and writing a novel or a, a, one of the biggest differences uh just how much fewer words there are it's such there a game are, of yeah. subtraction <laughs> in writing a screenplay um it's just like you have to just jettison off anything that is non-essential from the novel for for the screenplay so it's just constantly just trying to figure out how to subtract 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 and still make a story make sense um, so yeah that's that's been a big one for me this next one, uh, it's a shout. It's a shout out to making the Reese Witherspoon book club, and then also having Kristen Wiig uh, sign on for the husbands. So I have mm -hmm. to put you on the spot: legally okay. blonde or bridesmaids? Oh man, <laughs> this is so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Both wonderful oh. films. So no offense to Reese and Kristen. <laughs> Kristen. Both wonderful <laughs> films. Okay, um, I am gonna go with bridesmaids. Um, I just, I don't know, especially in this life phase, I just think, um, it just makes me laugh so hard. I watched it more yeah. recently for <laughs> sure. Um, and there are just so many great moments in that. Uh, um, yeah. uh, yeah. Melissa McCarthy with those puppies just oh, yes. like, really cracks me up every time. The puppies <laughs> and the, the puppies in the airplane scene the airplane I, I scene watch, I can watch every day forever and <laughs> the bridal dress shop is oh, just yes. oh god there's just there's just, like it's just chock full of great yes. moments <laughs> that's awesome I'm proud of you for powering through I know that was diff I know that was difficult yes <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> so and then uh lastly uh just for any uh, uh aspiring writer who's pursuing pursuing that dream of getting published well just what would be your advice of either starting that journey or to just, or to keep pursuing that journey? Uh, my advice is always find friends, um, find friends that have the same goals as you. Your family can only hear about it so much. Um, <laughs> and you need to find people that will make it feel less solitary. Like you need a water cooler of people because writing is so solitary and so sedentary uh, that if you don't make some kind of social aspect out of it, I just don't think you'll, you'll keep going. I think you'll quit because you need, you need that support group. Um, and really all my friends, I just found online. And so you can totally do it through Instagram or Twitter. And, you know, now I've seen my friends in person a lot and they're like in real life friends, but, uh, but they're very, very important to my life and to my career. Oh, that, that's awesome. I actually think you're, you're in a couple of book clubs, I believe. Is that 
Oh, yes. So, are yeah, you, talk uh, to my husband about all the book clubs I'm in. <laughs> he loves them. He loves me just jetting off a few times a month during bedtime. He thinks it's super fun. <laughs> so, so as an author in those book clubs, are you more front and center sharing, sharing your view or are you more, more in the background than the others and respond, responding? Um, I think I'm just a normal participator. I, I, you know, I try not to recommend the books that we're reading for book clubs because I just want to hear what other people have heard of. Like, I feel like I've heard of so many books um, that I don't have a sense of what just everyone else, like what books are reaching their ears. So a lot of times it makes me read books that I wouldn't read otherwise for work, which I really like. Um, And yeah, I mean, we definitely have a rule that we never read my books in book club. That's very important to me. Very good, very good. <laughs> well, we're uh, we're coming down the home stretch, and so when we wrap things up, I always have a couple of questions that I like to ask uh, each guest. So I wanted to ask you these. So the very first one. So, and uh, if if you're able to, if your answer is able to not be be a New York Times bestselling author because it's very cool. Um, that'd be awesome. But the first question okay. is, uh, what is a moment in your life that made you feel like the coolest person in the world? I, gosh, the moment that Kristen Wiig called me to talk oh, about yeah. my book was pretty wild. <laughs> I was like, what is life? What am I doing here? I was trying to um, refrain of from like a what's Kristen Wiig like que- <laughs> question, but now you brought it up. So yes, very <laughs> sweet. She's very sweet. Um, and and kind and thoughtful in in my experience so yeah I think that that was probably the coolest one did you did you think it was a prank at first like I guess when you look down and see the call coming in it might have been just been a random number were were you questioning it at first or were you just like well it was definitely scheduled I mean it was crazy (laughs) because it was like on Friday night we gave it to her like on a Friday and then on Sunday, I heard that she wanted to talk on Monday. So, um, so I knew that we were going to have a call, but I was terrified. I was like, okay, well, we are. And I always thought, oh, something will happen. It'll get canceled or whatever. But then when it happens, that's great. Um, That's that's amazing. And then uh, lastly, a last question for you is what is, what is the, what's the last thing big or small that brought you joy? Oh man. Well, I have my real one and I have, um, like a better one. So we just got a puppy. So that's brought me joy and, and angst. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, so those have been really fun. And then my, my real answer is really sad that we got a new fridge. (laughs) I feel like our old fridge died this week and I have hated our old fridge for so long. And now we got a fridge that I'm excited about. And that's how, you know, I am in my mid thirties mom. <laughs> that's not sad at all. Actually, we, this past weekend, we saw some family and they got a new fridge and it was one of those amazing, like first of yeah. its kind with the screens and stuff. And I was like, Oh, oh my God. goodness. Yeah. This, I could get used to this. So exactly. No, so. no shame at all <laughs> there. <laughs> there. So, well, Chandler, this was, uh, this was uh, unbelievable. I, I could ask a, bil- a billion more because I'm fascinated, but I want to respect your time. Um, but this was so, so much fun. And thank you so much uh, for taking time out of your day um, to chat about your work and about about your processes. And uh, I just wish you nothing but the best of luck uh, for the works ahead and the things that you're working on now. And I look forward to, to seeing them coming out. Thank you so much. This was so fun. I appreciate it. All right. I, pre- I appreciate it, Chandler. <laughs>